Welcome to the Blockdown Podcast, brought to you by EOK Digital, the number one blockchain PR and communications agency. Every week, we're sharing pearls of wisdom about the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. Don't forget to subscribe and review our podcast so we can bring you even more great content. Bang! And we are back. Coming up right now is a fireside chat with a special guest. The host of this fireside chat is our favorite YouTuber, Mr. Robert Crypto Beatles. Welcome back, sir. And alongside Robert is a guest that has had his projects featured in publications, including New York Times, Wall Street Journal, TechCrunch, and a bunch of others. He is the co-CEO and co-founder of BeatDAP. Please give a virtual welcome to Andrew Beatty. Robert, Andrew, take it away. All right, I appreciate you guys. Hopefully everybody's uh, everybody's healthy and happy out there, sheltered in place. You guys are all probably naked from the waist down. So probably from here down, <laughs> everybody's naked, just, you know, <laughs> sheltered in place, right? So this is cool, though. It's a cool uh, conference that Erhan and his team put on, and, you know, we're, uh, we're grateful for it. So that way we can all, all get together and talk crypto, man. So great job, Erhan. And it's nice to meet you, Andrew. Appreciate you, buddy. Why don't yeah, you, you tell too. Us- yeah, why don't you tell us about yourself, man? Tell us, uh, you know, I guess where you live, your background, your wife, kids, your blood type, social security number, all that kind of stuff. If you're CD19 reactive or active, just kidding. I'm, I'm uh, COVID free. I actually did get tested. I was one of the fortunate ones. So as of right now, I'm, I'm uh, negative, um, which was a little concerning because I travel a lot. So last year I was probably traveling uh, – well, I was only home 60 days, so most of the year I was traveling. So I was expecting to be one of the first uh, to get it because I was just leaving Asia. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of... you're not? <laughs> yeah, not really, but, you know, I guess earlier I was before I realized how, like, crazy it was. At the beginning, I kind of thought, um, you know, maybe it'll be like chicken pox and it's better to get it earlier, you know? Uh, but yeah. definitely things have changed clearly for the worst. Um, but my background is primarily in film and TV. Uh, in the early 2000s, I was a literary agent, packaged a bunch of different, you know, film projects and properties, started investing in um, technology companies, but specifically entrepreneurs that were at the time pretty much my age. And they were uh, specifically, I was investing a lot into Facebook applications. Um, at that time, What's Facebook was still... What's a couple that you've invested in? Where are they at now? One... Well, they didn't do well, but I tell, one of them was called Build a Bar. <laughs> Sounds uh, like everybody in crypto right now. <laughs> yeah. Basically, what happened was it was a, at the time you had to have an EDU address in order to uh, be on Facebook, and you could only actually talk to university students at your own university. So, what we built effectively was a chat room where you could enter. And if I'm being honest, it was primarily to like, you know, hit on girls at different universities. Like, that's pretty much what I think was. What, what the, what the, uh, their was. <laughs> yeah. it was like, you know, you're at whatever school, like say USC trying to, trying to hit on girls at UCLA across town. So that's kind of, that's kind of how it was used. Um, I thought we could build an audience, make it an audience building tool around a property that didn't really work well, but where it worked really well was with music. And so we actually started building audiences in that 18 to 24 demo. And, um, that led to building like websites, uh, like, you know, uh, we had a big stake in campus gossip and some of these like college related websites where we started putting music on and building, you know, driving a lot of audience to our, to our, from our tools to the artists. And then in 2010, we launched an early 2010, we, we launched an EP of an artist with no label. 
and he went number one iTunes, number seven Billboard, like over everybody. Um, and everyone thought we cheated. And really, it was just like a bunch of rabid fans that were so excited about this music that no one saw coming because you know social media marketing at the time was not a thing. So how do you how do you harness this energy or this you know this real authentic audience and then drive that from a grassroots level? So after we did that, we signed a ton of different labels. Almost every major label was one of our clients. And it turned from being a technology company to a services company. And that's kind of where I stepped back in, became the managing partner. We grew that, had a lot of uh, deep roots in music at that point. Um, and then crazy enough, I decided to go back. We sold the company, decided to go back and get my MBA. And I'm sitting. <laughs> Why would you I'm, do that? <laughs> uh, well, when we sold, I thought I would take a year off, but honestly, I got super bored. I, my big outing for the day was like going to get, uh, you know, 7-Eleven Slurpee in my sweatpants. That was like, it was like, it's kind of like today, seen, right? Yeah, a lot. Like, have you ever seen like five-year engagement when like she comes home and he hasn't showered in a week? That's kind of what it felt like. I just had no purpose, wasn't sure what I was doing. So I decided, hey, maybe I'll go back and get my MBA. And randomly, when uh, the, my neighbor above me was writing his thesis on Anonymous, and that's the first time that I had heard uh, really about Bitcoin. And that was in 2011. And that's when I was like, what is this? He was, he was using all his lab money and investing heavily. Uh, and, and I was just, I thought that it was crazy. And you said, I know you I said lab, lab money, like uh, breaking bad money, like that kind of lab. I wish. Yeah. Money. Yeah. He was like a TA, you know, just like working uh, in the lab at the university. And like, he was literally, he would, he would devote 75% of his paycheck to buying uh, Bitcoin. And I just thought it was the craziest thing at the time. I was like, man, this kid's nuts. But I was like, if he believes in it that much, maybe I should start paying attention. And then obviously we went through the first wave where it kind of blew up in 2013 and then went back down again. And so I've been in and around the space, invested in some mining operations and I've always been fascinated with it. So when I moved to Canada a couple of years ago, I started, a, you know, we started like a crypto trading club at work. And so some of the devs that were on our team started building like crypto trading bots and we started building dApps. Um, you know, one of the things we were looking at was, uh, we had like an ELO ranking system for foosball, but all the dev all the devs kept logging into the backend and changing their scores so they could go up the leaderboard. So it became like, how do you put this on blockchain? So the devs can't, can't tamper with it. And there's a lot of interesting stuff like that. So what happened was this whole music thing had been part of my life, technology companies. I grew a couple other tech companies, raised a little over $40 million for their projects and scaled quickly. And all of a sudden we had this label come to us and say, look, we have a problem tracking the number of times a song's played. Like our issue is literally that it's self-reported. Imagine it being a, a $20 billion honor system. And these streaming services, they're not being malicious. They just haven't invested heavily in their reporting tools. And a lot of the reports, we do forensic audits, we being the labels, they'll go in and say, okay, what were the server logs? And do they match the report? So did Snoop Dogg have 100 million plays or did he have 120 million plays? And why that matters is it's not that they get paid per play, they get a percentage of the overall pool of money that that streaming per company makes. So if the play counts wrong, they're not they're not invoicing. And so what you what that nets out to is around a four billion dollar loss annually for the music industry. So and they really believe blockchain would be the solution. They wanted a, a blockchain that could um, track the time the usage tracking. Like they. It's not that they cared less about rights management, but there was already 80, 100 companies trying to do like title of ownership and who owns what and automated uh, smart contract payouts and stuff like that. What they needed was actually an auditing and usage tool that tracked the number of times something was streamed. And so gotcha. that's where we focused, yeah. Yeah, no, that sounds like a cool utility. I mean, what is the overall, you know, I guess, 
money in you know music i understand you solve about a four billion dollar problem how big is the music industry you know what to put into perspective for us for streaming uh with licensing and stuff it's, it's gonna hit about 35 billion by 2030 it'll be 20 it'll be 23 billion um by in the next two years it's roughly uh you know nearing 20 billion now Streaming is, is, it's not just the aggregate number. So the aggregate number is slowly increasing, but streaming has cannibalized all of the different types of royalties, right? And so what used to happen is you'd get, like you'd sell CDs or vinyl or whatever, and you'd get your royalties on that. Now, uh, while those are depleting, streaming has just taken off. And even now, like surprisingly with COVID, streaming numbers are down, but uh, subscriptions are up. Like revenue is actually up. And it's primarily, I think, lost from, you know, no one's playing, like you're losing the play counts of like going to commuting to work or playing it in your office or whatever. A lot of people have kids at home. They're probably not playing music in the background dealing with that. So just, to, just depends on that, on that area. But, um, but then the money's still there. It's, 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 it's uh, completely revitalized the music industry. Yeah. I mean, music industry in itself is kind of, it's, it's a cutthroat industry. The, the money isn't there like it used to be in the past. I mean, in another life, um, I created a record label. And I did it for my, my wife's best friend's son. And I created these two bands and I got them on the radio. I kept them in the top 30 for a couple of years, but I didn't make any money. I made like zero money. And what people don't understand is, you know, you have to actually like pay to play. So not only are these musicians um, having to pay to go play, you know, with these famous other artists, but then when it comes time to get paid for their music on the radio, it's become like peanuts because back then it was because of, you know, like iTunes, Spotify, you know, stuff like this. So they're not selling as many CDs and the music that they are selling, they're getting such a small fraction of. So what you're doing offers kind of an incentive, right? I mean, it, it, it's a big value proposition because it allows them to kind of pick up the crumbs all over the place. And it sounds like it could add to 10% more revenue. For the music industry is there anybody else sure. doing what you're doing right now there really isn't i think the the offline substitute is um there's two ways people attack it either they try to own the whole ecosystem so they say let's cut out labels let's cut out streaming services so you might have a, a blockchain enabled provider where you as the artist upload your music and then uh you know they deliver the music so they have their own streaming and then they automate payouts and whatever the problem with that is is at least the way i see it is that 80% of music royalties, you know, roughly speaking, are paid out to historical catalogs two years or older. So if you're a new company coming into this market, you basically have to outlast all of these labels for almost a decade. And I don't know very many startups that have like 10 years worth of runway. So what ends up happening is they get some early traction. The market size isn't really large enough for venture companies or venture backed people to or investors. And so unless, unless they become profitable earlier, can sustain it, it's very difficult for them to make it. And a lot of them end up failing. So that's one area. The other thing is like, there's obviously offline audits. Like you can go to an auditor and ask them to go do this and they go pull the server logs, do the forensic audit and stuff. We still don't audit for money. Like we're not tracking their revenue sources. We're just tracking play count subscribers, which are two big components of an overall audit. So we are actually, we view ourselves not necessarily as competitive with those players, because when you go and talk to these accounting firms, they don't like doing the, the data side of this. Like they would much rather like track the money. They're not engineers. And so from their viewpoint, they'd rather just have a solution that tells them the number so they can do all the rest of their job. And so we think we're a complimentary service to them, but that would be more the substitute is like offline audits, which cost 
you know, anywhere between 50 and $300,000 to execute. And there's no guarantee if you're labeled, you'll get that money back. So it's and with 600 streaming services globally now, like how do you, how do you pony up that amount of money to keep you know, auditing everybody? Yeah. So with, with BDAP, does it also monitor things like these digital jukeboxes that they have, um, you know, some of these restaurants, some of these clubs, does it also uh, monitor like YouTube and uh, maybe you know, some of the other streaming services out there like a Vimeo, things like that, BitChute? Um, are you able to track all that stuff as well? We are. I think the hard part with like a YouTube, for example, is this idea of derivative works. So it's uh, user generated content is very difficult to nail. You need a lot of matching algorithms. I would say that that's not our primary function. In fact, we would prefer work with other really cool companies like Pex, for example, or Exactuals or one of these other ones that do matching. I think that makes a lot more sense for us to uh, identify which content is what and then give them the source of truth for the number, like how many times it's actually been played. But um, but yeah, like that's a secondary. Really, we focus on music labels who are distributing content directly. So uh, whether that's like a Geo7 or uh, Spotify, YouTube, uh, YouTube being like their own music channels, uh, not user generated. Um, but even like when you think of, everyone thinks of Spotify, but actually, the four biggest players in the market are in Asia um, and they're 10 times bigger than Spotify. And so it's, uh, it's very interesting when you think, when you start thinking about your own kind of outside your own bubble, like how many of these regional players there are and how hard it is to track and all the use cases, like there's fitness applications now streaming music and social applications. Does that count as a stream if it's only playing 15 seconds or 20 seconds? So there's a lot of these kind of edge cases, which are becoming more um, like, normalized and we have to figure out how we're going to track that and, and i think that as everything digitizes they're going to need a solution like us because as of right now there's no like in what world is there ever a large industry with zero accountability like <laughs> like you know what i mean like no no actual numbers it's not i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> <laughs> just keep printing baby just keep printing yeah so for these for these huge you know companies in Asia, um, are you you said you're able to track that as well? Is that something they're able to monetize, even though it's a different country outside of the United States? Yeah, music's very global. So what happened to us really fast is we thought we would start with a couple labels. So our very first partner was Entertainment One. They're the largest independent uh, music label in the world. So they have like Death Row Records, the Lumineers, etc. Um, we thought we could keep it quiet, but the music industry is kind of uh, very close. And so what ended up happening is we got um, probably within as soon as people realized our tech was real, um, you know, because we can we can process a million transactions per second per region. Uh, so that once we, you know, red teamed it, validated it, proved it, we filed eight patents, two of which are fully granted for blockchain enabled uh, media tracking. Um, once we got all that stuff in place, really, we had like 60 plus labels just hit us up within like a month, like we were just nice. getting like inquiries from everywhere so you're an actual blockchain company that actually has customers and revenue it's crazy i know <laughs> like we would we've never really viewed ourselves as a blockchain like it's interesting because we've all been in and around the blockchain space and we love it and every one of our devs like one of my devs used to work at crypto kitties uh we've all we've all worked in this space and built on top of different protocols built dApps like launched you know tokens whatever uh trading bots we've all been in it but none of us ever viewed ourselves necessarily as a blockchain company. We always viewed this as a music company that's just blockchain enabled. Like to me, it's I think blockchain will just be ubiquitous in the future. It's like 
I can't imagine an e-com company talking about how they're, they're like, you know, they use internet. <laughs> like, it's just like obvious, you know what I mean? Like, I think these things are going to just happen in the future. And um, from my viewpoint, we just have been focused on being customer uh, and market focused as opposed to maybe being like, maybe that's a fault of ours. Like we haven't really been out there shouting about our blockchain protocols or anything Like we just kind of, we're, we're trying to make a real business. Gotcha. You know, as, as you're talking to me the whole time, I'm thinking, man, you look a lot like Charles Hoskinson with Cardano. If, if, if Charles had more hair, so <laughs> I'll take his, it. Blockchain company, his blockchain company isn't quite up and working yet, but uh, it's, it's refreshing to see that yours is. So what made you get into music in the first place? Like what, you know, what, what was your calling? You know, what, what made you decide to, to go this route? Um, to be honest, I, opportunity like the, the music i've always loved music so i mean i played guitar started playing guitar when i was little um i had a, a pretty informative or like uh impression a teacher that made a, a pretty big impact on my life when i was in third and fourth grade started teaching best me guitar who's the best guitarist ever in your mind slash slash really okay all right yeah why what would you, you say mean? hendrix Man, you know, I like Tom Morello, but, uh, you know, he's just because he's so different. But there's a lot of people that say Clampton. There's a lot of people that say, you know, like all kinds of different people. Like my kid, he's, um, I forget, what, he likes Stevie something or other. I forget the guy's name, but yeah, he's a guitarist as well. But uh, yeah, usually somebody has a calling to get into something. And they follow a passion. So I wanted to see if you're a musician. So it sounds like you are. I early, I wouldn't say I'm great. I mean, I was in a pretty shitty, pretty, pretty shitty band. We thought we were cool. We were called Napkin. Napkin. <laughs> there to clean up the mess. But, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, that should have been our slogan. Yeah, no, we, uh, we were more making messes. We, our music was crap, but it was, it was really fun. And, uh, you know, I think that just inspired, I've always loved music. And then I got into the entertainment side, obviously. And then uh, just in terms of packaging film, TV stuff. I think that I've always wanted to be in music. I just was never a musician, like a real true, like I couldn't make it as a musician. And um, honestly, like my experience in dealing with artists was very difficult. Uh, artists can be a handful. There's a lot of, I mean, crazy stories that everyone probably has us to deal with them, but I've, I've been Especially when they get a little bit of fame. Like I took they a go crazy. A basement, put them from a basement, yeah. had them on stage with some of the largest, you know, bands in, in the world. And they just suddenly forgot who I was. <laughs> for exactly, like I mean, I won't say who, but I remember being at Spring Break uh, for MTV, and we lost an artist, and we we're like, "Where is this kid?" And he was upstairs on a see-through floor doing cocaine with the prince. And I was just like, "This is everyone's taking pictures from below, and just trying to trying to risk mitigate that can be difficult, you know." So it's like, um, it's it's a lot of just there's a lot of uh growing that you have to do when you hit that kind of fame really early i think and um it's it's difficult i mean you can't try everyone around you is a yes man everyone around you is trying to like ride, ride the coattails up or be around you and i think it's very difficult to especially at a young age navigate um who's actually there to help you and who has your best interest at heart and it's just hard it swallows a lot of people whole so i think dealing with artists is hard and that's like kind of why I steered clear and I had a lot of cool opportunities and technology and honestly all the things I learned about growth hacking for artists and building artists came and were useful for consumer products and business products so it's almost interesting because I feel like I learned so much building this agency for for artists and all of those growth hacking techniques worked very well for businesses 
And um, as sort of growth started becoming its own industry and taking off, um, there was a lot of opportunities for me there to help grow tech companies. And, and now I just feel like this is the perfect kind of aggregation of all of my skill sets I've learned over the years, you know, the hacking components, the building product, the music relationships, because all the assistants, like I was friends with all the assistants back then, like when you're a young agent, like you're not really, you're not at the top, like you're somewhere in the bottom middle. And fast forward 15 years, suddenly these assistants are like SVPs places and stuff. It's kind of crazy, but those genuine relationships you build with people early, especially in an, in an industry, they, they um, have a way of kind of coming back around, I think, you know, later in life. And so one of the reasons why they always say never burn bridges, because you never know when you're going to be passing somebody up on the way up or on the way down and you might need them. Right. But it's sure. uh, pretty incredible. Like what you're talking about, you found a system that worked from a different industry and then you plug in another industry into it cookie cutter and guess what it works because you already found a system that works and you just plug a new approach into it and here you are right For sure so, yeah awesome. you have uh, any other hidden talents or skills anything that uh, the world doesn't know it sounds like you're a guitarist but uh, what else do you got um i used to be a pretty decent snowboarder competed quite oh, yeah. a bit uh that was that was my jam i still snowboard a lot with um you know Take a helicopter yeah. up to the top and drop out of the helicopter and, and heli snow. heli ski. My favorite. If you're a snowboarder, I can't speak enough about Bald Face Lodge in BC, uh, British Columbia. It is like the mecca for snowboarding. I bet you like fifty percent at least of every major snowboard video is shot there. Um, they it's a snowboard friendly lodge. You don't even have to bring your gear. You can borrow. Like the, every every uh, brand sends their stuff up there for the next year, so you can just show up there, put a board together, pretty much of every single board. It's all cat skiing. It's 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 amazing. It's epic. It's it's one of those. If you have a chance to go, that's where that's if you're a snowboarder, that's your spot. It's awesome. You yeah. just show up and they get everything you need, and you're ready to start taming the hills. It's awesome. It's incredible. Yeah, you helicopter in. It's a it's a it's a it's really cool. And like all the pros are there. I remember last time I was there, there was a skier and a snowboard pro arguing over who was better in each of their sport. And so they spent all day building this massive jump and they'd never done the other person's sport and they switched. And so then you just see this like skier on a snowboard, just screaming down the hill, trying to land backflips off this jump, just yeah. eating it. And you see a skier, you know, a snowboarder on skis who just looks like weak need, like they, they can fall at any moment. <laughs> Yeah, it was incredible. And just watching them shit talk each other nonstop and just go for it. It's it's a okay. yeah, it's a cool spot. Right. What's a skill or talent you wish you had that you don't? Huh. Um I wish I was a good runner. I'm not. like not built for running. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why not start? I don't, I, you know, I just suck at it. I, I got into triathlons for a while. I was doing a ton of them and I would always do really well on the swim and bike and then just watch everyone pass me on the run. Like I, there's nothing worse than being in the middle of the run in a triathlon. They, in triathlons, they put the age on their legs and arms. It's like some 76 year old dude passes you and you're like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Running backwards. Yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen people do that before. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, it's just one of those things. Like, um, I try to run two and a half, three miles every single day. I'm not really built for running either. Um, I do a lot of weights, but uh, it's just something that it just feels great. You feel better afterwards. So, just start small. Just start with a little jog, sure. man. A little jog. I have a question for you. I have a question for you. What's your favorite uh, cryptocurrency? Do you have a Do you have a winner? Yeah. Well, so I mean, obviously Monarch, you know, but that's I mean, self-indulging, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a diehard Bitcoin guy, although I see and love 
many other cryptocurrencies out there and see value that they bring. You know, I'm not like one of those diehard, you know, Bitcoin guys where it's Bitcoin and nothing else. I, I think people like that need to open their minds a little bit and see that there's a lot of other stuff out there that brings a lot of value. I mean, look at Ethereum for Christ's sake. I mean, without Ethereum, there'd be no, you know, like BeatDap, I'm sure it probably runs on, you know, probably Ethereum, right? It's an ERC-20 possibly. So there's lots of stuff out there that brings value. It's not, oh, what, what blockchain? No, we built our own protocol from the ground up. Of course it's you a pro, It's a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, the reason being it's not fast enough. We needed to be able to process a million transactions per second. And really the only way you can do that is with like a private permission blockchain. So we, gotcha. we went that route instead. We wanted to build on top of something else. There just wasn't something there at the time, you know, gotcha. 2017 when we started. So we kind of went our own direction and built, built from there. All right. I think we got a couple minutes before they kick us off. So let's see, let's see here. What would be a good one for you? Um, if you were president of the world, what would be the first law that you would enact? I always love hearing people what they have to say about this one. You need to make it quick, Andrew, because we need to continue the show. I'd make I'd make it my first law would act with I'd get rid of all laws about drugs. Just let drugs, just let them go. Just, just let all the drugs. it all. All you just need to it, do is come go. to Amsterdam, Andrew. This is where it's all going down. <laughs> I love it. Hey, listen, Andrew, uh, Robert, thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, I let you guys go to the exact last, last second because I was enjoying the, the interaction. Uh, uh, amazing uh, interview. Very, very fun fireside. Uh, thanks for being with us. Andrew, Robert, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Rock and roll. Okay, the party continues. It's ongoing. It's never going to stop. That's how it feels, but that's okay because it's pretty awesome. Uh, we'll take a short break and we'll be back right after this. Thanks for listening to the Blockdown Podcast. To connect with us on social media, buy tickets for the next Blockdown event, or find out more about EAK Digital, head to the show notes for further information and links to everything. See you next week.